0: On this episode of Creative Mind, we talk with Sam Voutas and Eric Flanagan, two screenwriters who took their script and turned it into a brilliant graphic novel. And we're going to break down the process of how the story came about, which is a great story full of intrigue and danger, sex and all that fun international espionage, sort of, kind of, yeah, we'll call it espionage. And then how these writers who were actually working abroad in multiple different countries at a time over 10 years created this piece and got it published so grab a pen and some paper because you're definitely going to want to take notes on this as we talk to sam vutas and eric flanagan about their graphic novel white-faced lies this is exciting for me because when i read the book i loved it and i was really angry because it's a great story that i think I wanted to write, and everybody else who lived in China and had these experiences wanted to write, and you guys beat everybody to it in a great way, so that's exciting. Sam and Eric, introduce yourselves, because you're going to do a better job of it than I am. So, Sam Vutas, you're a filmmaker from Australia. You were in China during all this, and Eric Flangen, you're now based in Manila, but originally from the U.S. Sam, give us the 1,000-foot view of your career. I was a a filmmaker in my early 20s and was
1: struggling to find a career in Australia, so moved to China. In the early 2000s, China was a really exciting place to be a a young creative, whether it was cameraman work or just any type of work. There seemed to be lots of possibilities. And it was around that time that I met Eric. It was around 2005, 2006, Eric, that we met in Beijing? Yeah, 2005. Eric was editing a documentary uh, that he shot in Singapore. We, we just ha- had a dinner, and he asked me to help out, and one day of helping editing turned into almost a month. And...
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which gotcha! probably turned into
2: two months or something. Like, yeah.
0: It went forever. So, Eric, you were a filmmaker, but yeah, give us a little bit of the background of what brought you to China. Yeah. So, I was living in
2: New York and kind of making my way in the film scene and the reality TV scene, and got a gig where I could shoot so I'd already been to Southeast Asia through you know, in the east on my own traveling and so I went back there to make a documentary and I ended up in Beijing with a production company that I, I was staying there and editing in their facility and then I met a Sam that way through mutual friends. Was it Thomas? Yeah Sam a, was that
1: a friend called yeah Singaporean friend. Right. Yep.
2: Yeah. Introduced us, and, and the rest is history. We've kept in touch ever since, and we would trade ideas on things we thought would make good stories, and this ended up kind of surfacing as, as the one that ended up leading to this long-term collaboration.
0: Pre-Olympics China, pre-2008 China, was a bizarro time, to say the least. Everybody who had a camera was going to go there. Everybody who had a camera got work. And to kind of jump into this, everybody there who was of our complexion on the lighter side had the opportunity to teach and had the opportunity to be an actor and had the opportunity to do literally anything because there were not a lot of foreign faces in China. It, It was still not the easiest place to get into. And you were something special. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bizarre time. I remember
1: a couple of months after I first got to Beijing in 2005 as somebody offered me a free office at 798, which was the, the heart of, you know, the art center of Beijing, and they just gave me an office that was had a glass door. I realized that That They just wanted me to be there so that I could be seen so that the office could appear to have a foreign working there, a foreigner working there. And that's when that was pretty much my first introduction to this idea (laughs) of what was considered good face. Eric and I were very fascinated with this idea because it's not like when I was, say, at the office that I was actually doing anything at the office or I was helping the company in any way. I was simply there for this very superficial uh facade, essentially. And Eric and I have always been really fascinated with the idea of facades. And sometimes if it's just a surface level, there's nothing much behind it.
0: Yeah. And, and that's kind of a strange thing. I mean, the book you wrote is called White Face Lies. And it talks about the concept of face jobs. I don't know who came up with the concept of face job, but it, it's really a great name. I mean, perfectly explains it.
1: I thought you came up with that phrase because the first no, time I no. heard of it was from you, which was 2009.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. I think somebody had told me about it. And it was, I think all of us were like, this is just absurd. You can't be telling me that someone's going to pay me money to show up and be a foreigner that stands there and does things or nothing most of the time. Eric, explain your interaction or your discovery of these face jobs. At the time the story idea
2: came about, I was living in Singapore and I had spent time, you know, sort of ping ponging around different cities in Asia. So I was aware of the situation in China. I think this face job stuff is very specific to China. You don't see it as much in, you know, countries around Southeast Asia. Okay. So that (laughs) that uniquely special and undeserved treatment of white people is like unique (laughs) to inside the mainland and uh, yeah, I read an article about it. It was like some online article and I ran it by Sam. I was like, wow, do you know about this? This is crazy. Like, this is bizarre. Like, this sounds fascinating. There's a story in this. And Sam was like, yeah, I'm actually been doing this work. I've been base <laughs> jobbing for a book for like research. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. That's awesome. By then, I think, Sam, you had already kind of run out of steam exactly. on that angle, right? Yeah. And, and I was looking for something to write in terms of a screenplay. So we were like, you know, let's just make a story within that world. That's how I got involved with it.
0: I know how I got involved in it. I think it was just an ad for a you know, foreigners in Asia website and had dug around in the job boards of weird things to do, like voiceover and acting and things like that. That was just the thing that everybody who had gone to China got a chance to do. And I, I think I had come across that and read some some people went, Oh, you can do this thing and I did a couple and then, you know, Sam and I, we were having dinner and you know, you were like, That's not real. And I'm like, No, I just did this thing and you ran with it, which I am again wholly upset and jealous of that you went full Hunter S. Thompson on this. What was the reason behind you stealing this greatest idea?
1: <laughs> well, first off, I want to apologize for not being totally honest with you, because you gave me the contact in order to enter <laughs> that world, and I never told you.
0: No, hey, that's fine with me, please. You know, just remember, I get one cent of every screenplay. That's it. That's all I need. Just one, on him, one huh? penny. That's it. <laughs> That's not much money, trust me. Yeah, true. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously.
1: (laughs) I thought it was really fascinating, and you'd mentioned it. And I remember sitting at the table thinking, somebody's going to be really interested in this world. And I'd been reading sillily being very naive. I'd finished Hell's Angels, and I thought, well, Hunter S. Thompson did it. And he got a little recorder, and he went undercover. I'm sure anybody can do this. And I learned very quickly that that wasn't the case. So I did about five jobs, had a little hidden recorder with me. And then afterwards, I just didn't want to, I didn't have the guts to keep on doing
0: it. To be honest, because, <laughs> well, explain you know. that first job, because the idea of face job is you're supposed to show up and there's different versions of it. And when you read your guys' graphic novel, you've laid out very specifically what it is. But, you know, from my experience and what a lot of people will find online is you're hired to be an executive a person who stands there in a suit who could be from the company or not. You're just a foreign person in the group of important people. And you get paid for that. And you oftentimes don't talk. You just sit there and smile sweetly. What were some of your experiences with it? What was like one of the first jobs you did?
1: One of the first jobs I did was to be the second-in-command of an American uh,
0: company. (laughs) Um. Apparently, your accent really does speak Boston. Is it Boston? It's South Boston, right? (laughs) It's South Boston. It was a big mix. My neighborhood
1: in Boston was really mixed up. They watched too many Crocodile Dundee movies back in those days, in the 80s. The first uh, job, they, they gave me a name. They told me that I had just flown in from a certain city. It was I can't remember the name, it, whether it was like New York or what. They told me if they ask particular questions, don't answer, change the topic or, <laughs> or, or defer. <laughs> And uh, my my job really was just to turn up and and nod and uh, make sure that I wore a a really nice suit, a good suit and tie and uh, look
0: professional. And that's it. And then afterwards, go home. Oh, man. There's not yeah. much to it. Yeah, yeah, that was my experience with it, and I think uh, so many people's other experience where it just became just this weird, wacky bar story to tell. And I, I know some people took it seriously. I, I know some people it became their lifeblood. You know, I think for most of it, it was like, nah, just check it off the list. That's right. On that particular gig, that there was a
1: full-time face jobber, a oh, gentleman wow. in his 60s, American, who this was just what he did every day. And... For him, it was just another gig, read the lines, move on to the next one. And there were particularly, you know, white men who were in their 60s to 70s living in China at the time. There were those guys who that was just their their full-time deal. Sure, They would just go from four-star hotel to four-star hotel traveling around China.
0: As we're saying this, it obviously is a great story with a lot of potential and a lot of, of, like, you can go anywhere with this. So how did the two of you guys... Were you working together at this point, or was it just kind of independent kismet that came about, Eric? How did that work for you?
2: Well, we came, I think there was, when Sam and I decided, let's try to build a story in this world, Sam came down to Singapore. I think that was the first trip. And we really just spent like a few days trying to hammer out possible stories that resonated, that we liked. And when we landed on the one that ended up becoming the current book, yeah, we latched onto that. And after that, it was still in terms of like Skyping and, and Zooming and teleconferencing, all that technology was still quite slow. This was still like 2010, 2011. Is that correct, Yeah, Sam? 2010 we started in 2010. Right. And so we did actually a lot of like flying back and forth. It's actually kind of insane and expensive to think about now. But I went up to Beijing, I think a couple times. Sam went to Singapore a couple times. And then then we eventually ended up also writing drafts in Bangkok and Manila and Los Angeles as the years went, on, as the as the year as the decades as the,
0: as the decades upon decades dragged on. Yeah, I, I, well, we're gonna come back to how long it took, right. but yeah. w- was it always a book? What was the product, so to speak, that you guys were originally trying to create? Sam, can I jump in on this? Sure, one? go for Real it. Fast?
2: yep. yep. So I had made a short film at NYU Tisch graduate film program that I was at in Singapore. And that got some attention at the Sundance Labs. And they were like, hey, do you have any scripts that you can submit? And so this story and my conversations with Sam sort of happened about the same time that uh, Sundance was asking for something for us to give them. And I thought, well, this will do. And so we we wrote a screenplay version of it, which is, it's definitely... There's a lot of similarities, but it's actually, it's also quite different than the current story. And uh, yeah, and then we got it in a Sundance screenwriter's lab and we went into that and workshopped it. And then the current version of the book was born out of that experience being there at Sundance. And then, yeah, the next step to turn it into a graphic novel kind of came about actually out, out of an idea of Sam. Sam, you were the one with the, who kind of said, hey, let's turn this into some actual IP, right?
1: Yeah. You know, we'd finished the labs and we had this script and Eric and I were just discussing how are we going to feasibly shoot this in China? You know, it's going to be, be quite difficult, both in terms of the content of the story and also just the logistics. We have scenes where there's big factories with lots of extras and we realized also the state of independent film. And this is like 2012 now. We'd have to get name American actors. And we just thought, are we going to be able to get hold of the name American actors to appear? So... We started this long discussion about how do we turn this story into intellectual property? Because a screenplay is great, but it's a blueprint. And neither of us had any experience really doing anything other, <laughs> other than filmmaking. We never discussed reality right. TV, right? We could have done a reality TV show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That probably wouldn't have lasted that long, though. I don't think you would have gotten uh, a few episodes out of that. That would have been a little dangerous. <laughs> but but that's interesting that you, you thought, okay, we're going to make a film and then realize well this is unfilmable how quickly did you start thinking about other ideas because there's the book idea like let's make a novel or an actual book which you know at that point you know everybody who's been anywhere in the world has a book idea and then of course in china post olympics everybody had a book about china because so many people went to china you touched on the idea of ip Explain that thinking, because that's a very high level business thought thing like, I'm going to make some IP, but not something you shouldn't be thinking of. I mean, it's it seems like an important part of the process. I I guess it it, it does sound complicated, but at the same time, it's just proving the
1: product that you're trying to sell, that it it is quality, essentially. And when it comes to a screenplay, it's all people might flip through it really fast. It's up to people's imaginations. It's not actually a thing that is as tangible as a, as a product, per se. Uh, so, yeah, just I was saying to Eric, you know, we really should try to make this either a novel, but then neither of us had experience writing novels. We weren't really those type of guys in China. We were more visual people. And so, yeah, I think we both decided we'd, we'd turn it into a panel-by-panel panel graphic novel.
2: Right. The story is so visual anyway. Like, I think one thing that was so appealing about it was it was always conceived to be kind of a road trip movie, but in mainland China through second tier cities. So cinematically, what I what we were always attracted to was this uh, being able to just see show people and see things that you usually don't see in a film. You know, a story that takes you through this really insane countryside with beautiful geography and or, or giant cities and like crazy you know, industry and it's just all this really great visual stuff. So it would have been so for me, the, the idea of a graphic novel seemed a lot more appealing and also we're on firmer ground in terms of having a sort of filmmaking background. It felt like it's something we could manage a little better than just right. Becoming, you know, book authors. And uh, then also just the idea of we worked really hard on the story and it would have been a shame to just for the screenplay to end up on a hard drive somewhere forever, right? <laughs> we wanted it to turn into, we wanted it to become something no matter yeah. what. And, and then like Sam said, you know, times have changed so fast in China since the time we started writing it to the time we were thinking about the screenplay was done. The, the feasibility of shooting it there had changed, right? That's right. In the space of two years. Basically,
0: and I got to say, I mean, I'm not a graphic novel person. I didn't really read comic books a lot, but you're right. The visual aspect of China at the time, and even now, there's so much visual absurdity. And like, how is this all there? It's like Blade Runner, and it's a desert, and then it's a Blade Runner desert in a desert, and a shopping mall, and it's just you know how the visual panels and and cells you guys created really was gorgeous and and, and beautiful. And so that makes sense that a graphic novel would have to be the starting point. But in that Sundance workshop, what were some of the things that helped you with What was the benefit of that? Or or was it a benefit? Sam, you want to? Eric, do you want to? (laughs) Uh-oh. Well, we were just, we were incredibly lucky to have
1: the types of advisors that we had at the Sundance Labs. It's, you're getting the, the smartest, most talented screenwriters on the planet to sit down and read your script, not once, but twice, and give you detailed feedback, sometimes line by line. And they were very generous to let us to record the session so we could listen, so we could play it back time and time again, and discuss what changes we wanted to be made. But yeah, each advisor would have different, really good advice. And then it was just Eric and I deciding, well, we could go these multiple ways. This is all good advice. What do we want to do? That's where this new version came out. The book, the version that is essentially seated in this graphic novel.
0: But no offers at the end.
1: <laughs> of no, no, no sales
0: or no sales. No, no, yeah, no, no one ready to like ready. All right, let's go. Nothing. No. <laughs> well, it wasn't finished. It wasn't finished. We, oh, okay. to, we, okay. we felt
1: like we wanted to finish it and turn it into something. Okay. You know, come on. So, you, got, yeah. you,
0: you have that. You say Sundance. And I'm like, uh huh. <laughs> uh huh. And, and, you know, Robert Redford didn't walk in and go, let's go, gents. <laughs> <Insane>. <laughs> walk through this door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, next time, next time. <laughs> When you decided, okay, graphic novel, you're looking at your IP. We're not going to do a book. We're not book authors, which is a whole other challenge. You got a screenplay, so you know it does make sense from a screenplay. You're both directors and editors, so storyboards make sense. Graphic novels is a thing. How long did it take you guys to go into that graphic novel space, and how did you jump into that world, which is so niche? I think we jumped into it as only people who know nothing
2: can do. Right. (laughs) I I think our first priority really was, and Sam, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was really like, okay, so who's going to draw this thing? Like, we got to find someone to do, we can't do that. And so we, yeah, I guess this sort of leads naturally into a discussion about our illustrator and how we found our illustrator. But like, that was maybe the first big step, right? Right is to team up with the right partner to illustrate the book. And we really lucked out. Like we found maybe the most perfect person for this exact book to illustrate it.
1: Yeah, Sam, you want to talk about yeah. Little, right. Yeah, Timothy McEvenue, who's a Canadian illustrator, he was based in Beijing at the time. Oh, great! Working for oh, a lot wow. of the newspapers, and Bob, as you say, it's just there were so many particular elements to live life in China at that time that if you didn't live there, you wouldn't be able to pick those things up. And Tim filled those images with all these particular details that if we'd written it in words, it just wouldn't have come across the same way.
0: Oh, wow! I mean, that seems like you know even more kismet that the three of you guys had all this Asia experience, and were able to put it all together in to one cohesive thing. I mean, that doesn't happen a lot. And that's why, one of the reasons why it just took so long. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: we had to take the screenplay, then convert it into a format that Timothy could access. And, and then Eric and I had to learn about panels and what type of panels we wanted the book to have. There was all these rules. We were basically learning 101, just graphic novel
0: 101. So just heading out to the store and buying nothing but books and comic books and, and just going nuts. We were looking at a lot of different samples and say, do we want our book to be more like
1: this or like this? You know, look how the artwork is done. A big conversation that we had was, do we do black and white? Do we do color? There's so many different directions you can go once you do a graphic novel. And then also making sure, and Tim also had to uh, create the characters, because unlike film, where you hire an actor and, you know, that actor is going to be who he or she is. Tim had to create these characters, the looks of these characters from scratch. So that took
0: some time, too. Eric, how did that work? I mean, you both come from different backgrounds. You've got different perspectives of it. Sam, you lived in China. Eric, you had visited China, but lived in Asia. How did you guys start crafting this? What were some of the influences you pulled from to create the visuals or to at least guide the visuals?
2: Well, again, we literally had no idea what we were doing. I think we made early on the choice, stylistically, like one thing that we were attracted to, which is another reason why Tim was great, was we didn't really want it to feel like a Marvel, or we didn't want to make a comic book looking graphic novel. We wanted it to have a very distinct visual style, and we thought the way we could achieve that is finding an illustrator who has a unique a unique personal style, and that was him. And so, you know, when we found him, we're like, okay, this is our guy. So that like really kind of checks those boxes. And so then like Sam said, we had to um, create uh, the characters and that was a whole process. And really the bulk of the time that we spent on the graphic novel was really just converting it to rewriting it as frames. So it was just like frame by frame, a miniature description, which basically tripled the size of our script or something, Sam, like it really made it It really just became a different, like an intermediate step, like a conversion step that I guess if you're just, you know, if we had not written a graphic novel, I'm sorry, if we had not written a screenplay originally, I guess that would have been the first thing we'd do. So that conversion step was arduous. And then we would make revisions to the story throughout the process, which would affect the art because, you know getting these pages illustrated is a long and expensive process. We would try to tell the stories the most efficiently we could and keep it as short as possible. But then there was a point where we realized we actually, it wasn't long enough. We didn't have enough frames. We needed to add more. So we realized, Oh my God, that we're going to add like 80 pages to this thing. Uh, So it was like, really we were learning as we went, I feel like now, Sam, if we were to do another novel, we would probably, we'd probably get it done in 30% of the time.
0: Rather than, I think so. I think a lot know, of the rookie
1: yeah. mistakes we got in the way, uh, got, you know, we got out of the way.
0: What were some of those things that that were a surprise to you? I mean, if if you're, you know, used to working with a screenplay and if you're working with film you're like, well, here's my establishing shot, we're going to get out of that really quick. I've got my action, if I've got people talking, I got my my reverses, I got my over the shoulders, I got a couple of close reactions, maybe an insert. Boom, scenes done. You know, minutes out, you know, 89 to go. What were some things that were different or or surprising for you that you guys had to create from a graphic novel? perspective. Well, a similarity is that
2: we used filmmaking language in our descriptions for Tim to follow. So, cause I guess we didn't know any other way to talk about the images. So we would be like, you know, medium o- over the shoulder or tight over the shoulder or on so-and-so. And Tim would just magically make it all happen. Cause we're all kind of imagining it like a movie, but in terms of surprises, Sam, what do you think? I don't know. Like, I'm not sure aside from just how hard it was, in film when you're editing you can extend
1: a particular shot in order to add more uh, dramatic effect to that shot and one of the surprises for us was that in a graphic novel that's what the page turn does that page (laughs) turn is that little beat Right, right so we started to realize oh you know the last frame on a page particularly when it's a page turn can have that dramatic effect that you have in a film when you do a long beat on a cut so we started working towards that
0: yeah, you would never think of that, where you have a, even old-school techniques of a fade-out. That's it's, right. It, it's where I have a breath now. Now it's, I'm yes. turning the page. And then I guess the concept of two pages open is this giant plate of image and cacophony right. staring back at you. Yeah. When you guys went to do that, what was the things that some of the stuff that Tim drew or some ideas that he brought that you went, that doesn't make sense to me, but makes sense in the end? Or maybe didn't make sense to you at all. You're going, I guess, okay, he's a graphic novel. Let's call it good. You know, In a graphic novel, you're looking at a lot of single images, a third of the page, that cover massive amounts of film time.
2: Um, yes. Especially you've got yeah. this
0: road trip concept. So you have a couple of pages that would take 30 seconds on film, maybe a minute montage if we were being really cool, is one page which... For me, not being a graphic novel reader, it was like, I flipped through it. I read the whole book in 20 minutes. What happened? Yeah, the pacing. How did you guys figure out pacing on this? It was really difficult to learn pacing
1: because, as you said, a movie runs at a set speed and trying to learn the, the speed at which one read a page. Often we'd only discover that the pacing was off once Tim would send us the roughs back. So we'd, we'd come up with that shot list essentially a film shot list that we'd send to him and then he'd send us the frames back and we'd realize that, oh, this page runs a little bit too fast when you're reading it. And that's when we'd add a beat, like you add a perhaps a frame of somebody thinking and just that that frame can extend the reading process. Also the size of the frame can extend the reading process. If you have a full strip across of somebody thinking, that's that's a substantial pacing beat right there. There was a lot of that. And then there was also at the end editing, like cutting stuff out where we realized, oh, we don't need a beat here. Uh, and this is where we gave Tim a, 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 quite a big headache. Is like, Tim, do you mind removing this frame from the page? <laughs>
2: he's,
0: he's like, why didn't you tell me this at the beginning? Do you know how difficult this is? <laughs> <laughs> Eric, what were what some stuff that you, you thought was a challenge? What were those things that you just went, I don't know if I want to do this anymore? So after we
2: kind of decided to lock our images and stop making Tim's life hell and just sort of be like okay this is the artwork we can't do any more drawing we can't get any more pages illustrated then there became this phase of like well we can still change dialogue and we can still change what's written and so that opened a door to you know tweaking that could go on forever if you don't force yourself to stop and so we we went to this phase of just infinite tweaking of lines and we had to like put down rules at one point. Like, we got to stop this. We have to just let this go at some point because it was turning into a forever project, right, Sam? And also,
1: because it's a collaboration, every single line is discussed at huge length (laughs) between Eric and
2: I. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say,
0: on a film, you go, like, we ran (laughs) out of money. There ain't no more tape. There ain't no more film. We're done. Shut up. But if you're just typing on a page, man, you can go for (laughs) 14 years or whatever it was that you guys spent on this. (laughs) 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 Also, film, you're limited
1: by what you got on the day. So you might have different takes, but that's it. That's it. But for us, we could, yeah, we could change the whole content of a scene just by changing a speech bubble.
0: Right.
2: Ah, uh, Too much power, man. It's like we went into ADR mode in post, but
0: <laughs> for like three years of ADR or something. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, just shoot it real wide. It'll be fine. We'll, we'll fix it. <laughs> right, It'll, right. The ultimate fix it in post project. <laughs> right, right. What, what were some of the influences that you guys started pulling from when you were writing this, whether it be visual or the story, or even some of the graphic novels that you found, what was becoming the push or the influences for you to really get this visual idea down?
1: Well, Eric had a couple of copies of uh, some Guy Delisle graphic novels, I remember. And we felt that one of the reasons why he'd be good to as a go to is because he was a foreigner telling stories in Asia from a unique sort of perspective. So yeah, so Delisle did Shenzhen that we looked through, Eric, and then we had Pyongyang was another graphic novel that he did, and and they were really helpful in terms of us just being, just sort of learning what is a literary graphic novel as opposed to the kind of graphic novel. The pow, bang, we, Yeah, boom. that's right. The stuff that we'd read when we were teenagers.
2: Good, good, Eric. Oh no, I was just gonna say, I think we dove in without being real graphic novel connoisseurs, and i Sure, we're still not, but we know more now. But probably our orientation was more coming from the world of film and thinking about visually and storytelling-wise, probably thinking more in terms of directors we like or filmmakers we like. But, you know, in the future, we might, as we become more well-versed and, you know, consuming graphic novels, probably those influences will creep in too. Because there's a lot of ways to do it, like Sam said. And, and like, Tim even was wanting us to kind of unchain him and let him go crazy and do some minimalist stuff and sketched out stuff where like there's no color and the frames go away like there's so many cool things you can do once you get into that world where if you flip through some graphic novels they're not laid out like frame by frame you know some are definitely by frame but others it's like the frames disappear and all the images blur together and so there's a lot of cool stuff you can do that we might try in the future but for this first time out our feet were definitely planted in the world of film and thinking about it in terms of of almost like a storyboard, really. I think that sort of shows.
0: It does read like the world's most gorgeous finished storyboard series or animatic. <laughs> okay, almost. yeah, right, right. Well, I mean, from somebody you know, as not a graphic novel guy, another question I have for you guys is: What did you find that was surprising? And Eric, you touched on some of this. You know, now you're graphic novel writers, and that's a whole nother world. What has surprised you about? this new genre this new medium that you're working in now
2: i'm still learning about it i'm sure sam you are too and i there's probably a little bit of imposter syndrome here like being you can be being called graphic novel authors it's it's uh you know treading new ground here for ourselves but yeah I, I don't know sam what do you think
1: ever since we started the process i've certainly been buying a hell of a lot more
0: graphic novels to read because you know you, you only learn by reading. Has it opened you up to a new world? I mean, are you seeing, are you meeting a different audience? Are you finding out that like, oh, there's more to this? Because it seems like, you know, more adults always have read graphic novels.
2: Yeah, I mean, oh, you go for it, Eric. I was going to say this kind of circles back to what we were talking about before about IP. Since we've announced the book, some people have gotten in touch with me saying, hey, you know, we are trying to do our own IP. And I think over the years, it's become more and more, like a thing now people realize everything that's getting made by production studios is all more or less based on some sort of IP or at least, you know, that's the trend. So it makes total sense. I think Sam was just early to kind of figure that out and, and adapt this strategy we were probably got on a little earlier than most, but I think now it's sort of, a lot of people have done that math and they're like, everyone is sort of rushing to try to turn their scripts into graphic novels or books. I think there's a mad rush to find illustrators. This is becoming a really common thing. We're just grateful that we got through the process at all <laughs> and, and uh, <laughs> ma- managed to make some good relationships in the process that'll hopefully lead to the next graphic novel project. So we are, I think we're both really excited about our next one coming up that we still are developing.
0: To pick up where we left off with the idea of surprises and doing a graphic novel, you know, you've had some success, yes?
1: I'd say moderate success, considering uh, our level of experience, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great success.
0: The final output is a legitimate, really nice graphic novel. You talked about you know, how it's kind of changing your thinkings and, and you want to do more of these what's that mean what does that look like from a career standpoint for you guys how does that change you know how you present ideas how you think about your ideas now you're going well maybe we'll make this a graphic novel first as opposed to well we've tried everything else this seems like an interesting idea
1: yeah I think we're looking at ways in which would a story fit better as a graphic novel than as a movie and sometimes that's not the case. So Eric and I have got a huge pile of ideas and we've been sitting down and saying, how about this idea? What do you reckon? TV series, feature film, graphic novel? And the ones that are going into the graphic novels, we're saying, oh yeah, that would really make a really cool graphic novel. Maybe it's set in space or who knows. But there's particular reasons why it couldn't be be difficult to be a feature film. Those are the ones that we're starting to develop. So it's Before we were storytellers, we were filmmaker storytellers. And I think the big shift over the last 12 years is that we have slowly become storytellers working in two different mediums at once. Whether we're telling them good or not, I don't know.
2: (laughs) It's a nice option to have, though, for sure. Now there's more we can do. And also there's the feeling of, you know, it can become something without needing $100 million to have it exist.
1: And that's also one of the frustrating things about film is that so often you write a script and it never becomes anything. Eric and I know so many writers who are like, yeah, I've got a whole shelf full of screenplays and it never became a thing.
0: That's like the rules. Like you have to have, you know, a lot of people graduate film school. It's like you need a dozen scripts in a dozen genres to prove that you can do this. You know, exactly. let alone, you know, it's unpaid practice. For you guys now, when you are looking at something, oh, yeah, this would make a great graphic novel. Is it exciting when you stumble across that? Or is it like, okay, it's graphic novel time.
2: I'm excited because now when you work in indie film and you have to be really resourceful and you have to think, what is the coolest location I have free access to that I can build a movie around? <laughs> right. You know, who do I know that can be a great lead actor? You know, you don't have to do that anymore. You can just be like, okay, we can think up, you know, a billion dollar production value concepts and just be like, yeah, well, we just gotta get an illustrator now. So that, that's good. It's very freeing in that regard, yeah. Especially
1: in a COVID world where it's so much harder to be an independent filmmaker. If we wanna set a movie in Tunisia, or, or sorry, a graphic novel in Tunisia, we can do that. We don't have to get on planes and deal with trying to get uh,
0: quarantine and all that stuff. We just start writing. I was gonna say, before all of this went into lockdown, you guys were, you know, doing it as you said remotely before it was cool. Has that made it? What did we, were we using
2: Skype in the beginning, Sam, in the times when we actually couldn't be in the same city? Is that where we were doing That's
1: right. Yeah. So we started on Skype and I'm not even sure Messenger was a big thing back in 2010. So back then Skype allowed you to do, you could share screens. So we'd share a lot of screens of, you know, our work back and forth. And then when we could, we'd try to fly. I think Eric it was about once a year, right? We'd fly, roughly about once a year, try to do a big, say, one week session where we just worked all day or all night and then crashed.
2: Right. In those sessions, like we would cover so much more ground than if we were doing it remotely. Just being locked in a room with like a bunch of sticky notes on a wall and just became like, you know, boot camp or prison camp for writing. And we wouldn't let ourselves out until we had, you know, a finished draft. It was really hard, but we covered way more ground that way. It would have taken even longer if we weren't able to do that.
1: Yeah. And it was handy to have deadlines, too, because we'd say, oh, I'm only staying with Eric for a week. We now have one week to try to get something done that's tangible.
2: Right. And we'd have, like, that's how I remember story versions. It's like, oh, that's the Bangkok story version. Oh, that's the Manila story version. That's the L.A. version. Like, so that's how I'd mentally, like, you know, think about our drafts. If we were going to do this again, I really hope it wouldn't take another two decades. Like, it's got to be faster (laughs)
0: Like, (laughs) I believe it would be faster. But now the collaboration seems simpler. It's not so much of a slog to do this remote thing, or obviously we all want to see each other face to face, but is it gotten easier or more feasible in the creative idea or the creative process?
1: We're so used to doing the the Skype or Messenger calls, so that's just second nature to us. But I do think that when we can travel internationally again, Eric and I will still have to find some place to hammer out for a week.
2: Yeah, hunker down, hunker, <laughs> hunker down. down. Like there's a 200 typhoon pages. That's right. (laughs)
1: Because there's still something, yeah. Being in the same room is different than, say, doing one Zoom a week. It's it's very different. And you can reach a level of intensity with the work that you can't do via Zoom. Zoom, it's very nature can be tiring. If Eric and I are in the room for 12 hours, we are going to go to some places. Sure. (laughs) And it's going to get pretty crazy. And often that leads us to story places that we never thought about just because of the intensity of working together for so many hours of a day.
2: Just no distractions either. Even if we were doing a Zoom call a day, we'd still, our brains would, you know, be distracted by a millionaire things. So if we lock ourselves in a hotel and like, you know, create a story wall, then it's
0: basically we're locking ourselves in a writer's room and we can focus. Okay. When you got finished and it was time to like get a graphic novel, what did that look like? You couldn't go to, you didn't go to your film contacts what was the idea of, okay, I have my graphic novel how do I get it out to somebody? Was it always the idea of self-publishing or was it, let's go and try and find a publisher first?
1: Eric and I were discussing this at length, trying to think, what's our next chess move? And we eventually decided that we should try to get an agent, sort of similar to an agent that you might have in film, a literary agent. So we just started cold knocking on agents' doors, sending emails, and one of them responded. And it was the Writers House Agency in New York who read it and loved it, and they took... Uh, us as writers as clients which is great and that's not just for this book that's for future books as well so that's also put a bit of confidence under our belts we do know somewhat we we might have a career in graphic novels if we try (laughs) and then uh, obviously the book is very particular so the agent showed it to a lot of publishers and in the end we decided look you know let's just self-publish this thing we've been working on it so long Let's put it out there and move on with our careers because we want to be working with the agent, with the writer's house to be creating new work. So that's when we decided let's not wait forever for the publishers to say yes or no. Let's put this out into the world. And that's when we had to learn about self publishing, which was a whole other.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a whole other seven hour conversation. <laughs> that's right. But ultimately, that worked for you. That was the smart move to just let's get this guy out there let's birth this baby that's right and in that
1: regard I think self-publishing is very much like the early days of independent filmmaking because it allows anybody to take their product and show it to the world and then leave the world to decide whether they like it or not so in that regard it was really exciting that we could simply put it on KDP or IngramSpark and a couple of weeks later it's there for sale it's really exciting
2: right and I think now is. More than ever, we're not really in a world where people go into bookstores as much and like their limit, you know, if you're not on the bookshelf, then your book doesn't exist or something. Now, because everyone buys it online, it it really kind of doesn't matter. Self-publishing, the end result is almost the same anyway.
0: So a lot of people don't even know. I was going to say that's that's a very smart and intelligent and good answer, because I think that's always been the case with writers like, well, you don't want to self-publish because then you're done. But you're right. Where are you going to buy a book now anyway? When was the last time you saw a bookstore to begin with? You're going to buy it online, so if it's online, it's online. What's the difference? Yeah, that makes absolute total sense. What's next? I mean, what's the next short, you know, (laughs) nine-year project that you're going for? Because, you know, we've only got so much time, guys. Right. I mean, we're only going to be alive what
2: thirty more years, Sam. So Max, if we're lucky. I mean, yeah, if we're so lucky. it's like two more books. You can like, you can get it. We only get two more there. chances. That's right. We've decided
1: it's definitely not any more white face lies. No white face lies prequel. No sequel. No. we're, yeah, no, we're on done. To we are shame. so
2: done with that. I don't know, Sam. What do you think? Like, we're still trying to figure out what kind of world we wanted to our next thing to take place in. But you know, we are going to really, I think embrace the freedom of being able to kind of tell the the kind of stories we want without worrying about how much it would cost to make as a film. And will it be based in a similar kind of world that the last one was in? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it'll be something totally out there. Maybe it'd be something that spans many countries. Maybe it'd be something that takes place only in a familiar first world country situation. Sam?
1: Yeah, I don't think we've decided yet. Probably our first step will just be sharing different memories and personal experiences and going from there, sort of like how we did on the last one.
0: Yeah. But definitely graphic novels. This is a strong path that you guys are going to be walking.
1: I think so. And it's also tied to budget, too, because to make a graphic novel is so much cheaper than making a feature film. You know, a feature film nowadays is so expensive. And a graphic novel is much more expensive than a novel, but... It's something that if you find an illustrator and you work well with with that illustrator, it's, it's something that you can create. So for us, it's a tangible way that we can turn ideas into products.
0: Cool. I have to say again, the book really is good having lived some of it in a very small way, it really is a great story. It really does flow. And as I was turning it with the cynical, angry, going, oh, very smart. Oh, good. Jo- oh, oh, nice twist. Excellent. I mean, really a very enjoyable book. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, Sam, we're friends, but it really is a very good book. So I do highly recommend everybody go get it. It is a very fun piece. So tell us where, What's the best way to get this book and get you guys a few shekels for your 12 uh, year journey?
1: Probably simplest is www.amazon.com. <laughs> just type in whiteface lies and, and you're good to go.
0: <laughs> well, I was going to say, where else would you go for anything that you would want anyway? <laughs> That's right. And we're sponsored today by Jeff Bezos's idea. So here <laughs> That's we are. Right. <laughs> and for those, and again, you know, just to make fun of Sam, for those English speakers, it's www. Oh.
1: Yeah, whatever. That's true. And actually, it's a .com.au or .uk. Wherever (laughs) you are on the planet, Amazon is everywhere.
0: Okay, got
2: it. (laughs) Sam, there is a higher quality version available, though, right? On a different site? You could also get it on
1: Barnes & Noble, which has got another high quality version. But that's one of the choices you make when you're self-publishing, too, is what quality of printing do you want to go with? And we decided we'd work so long on this that... Amazon, we just went for the highest quality printing oh, version great. that they offered, and the same with uh, the Barnes & Noble version. So when you do buy a copy of it, it's not a cheaply printed copy. It is the highest one that they're, they're offering.
0: I was impressed. It, was, it did have a nice weight to it. It, was a, it wasn't rubbing off on my fingers. I was like, ooh, this That's is good. a book book. This is good. a real <laughs> book. Th- this... Okay. Uh, this is oh, wow. a real okay, book. Go. Nice. Good. This is a very nice book. It's been sitting under my notes. So like, you know, we'll have to do the, the proverbial selfie with it when we're oh, done. Good. So, yeah, it's, it's good. All right, well, guys, thank you so much. Eric Flanagan and Sam Vutas, you guys are tremendous from Manila and Australia, and we're here in San Francisco. So awesome, guys. Thank you so very much. So there you have it. Some great advice and a great story. And I hope you took some notes because if you've ever dreamed about a career in art and design, More and more art and design career opportunities are on the rise and employers are on the hunt for the next generation of talented and of course skilled creative professionals. Here at Academy of Art University you will get those work-ready skills that employers want. You can study on-site in downtown San Francisco and of course anywhere in the world with our online programs. To request info about our 40 plus areas of study in art and design including game development, industrial design, illustration and fine art, Just visit our website at academyart.edu slash creative mind. My name is Bobby Brill. Thanks for listening.